Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Rama. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. So, what's up, everyone? I hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, I want to go on ahead and apologize for it taking so long to get this episode out. My lovely wife is out of town. She is in Ohio visiting some family. And, uh, yeah, so it's just me and four very, very bored dogs. <laughs> you know, they, they have a... Um, they they have a very different mindset <laughs> whenever she's here versus whenever uh, she's not here. Um, <clears throat> whenever they're she's not here, they like to really lounge around. They don't get into a whole lot of stuff. They they don't play all that much and everything, you know. And, and you know, it really seems like they're just they're bummed that she's not here. And I've I've told her more than once that these dogs love her more than they love me. Because I have come through the front door, you know, from, from work before and they, you know, they'll come to the door and they'll kind of, you know, they'll get, they'll get a pet here and there, like on their, on the top of their heads and everything. And then they'll go on about their business whenever she comes home, like they are, she, she can't make it through the door. They're jumping on her. They're all trying to get her attention and get pets and get all the love and all the attention and when she finally makes it through the door, you know, and comes through the living room, goes to go down the hallway, all four of them are right on her heels. And, <laughs> you know, it's like there's a very, very big difference to how they are with her and how they are with me. Now, they mind me better. You know, it's like they really view me as the boss or the alpha, if you will. And, you know, like, I, I can play with them. Like, you know, I'll get some toys, like some ropes and everything, and they'll play tug of war with me and all that kind of stuff and everything. But we come to sit down to watch TV and everything, and I have my chair, she has her chair. All four dogs are trying to climb up into the chair with her to sit with her and lay with her and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, so, um, yeah, like, you know, they, they woke me up at 5, five o'clock this morning, and, uh, you know, let them out and they were all just kind of lounging around outside. They didn't want to come back inside or anything like that. And yeah, so, uh, I've been working on doing my episode today. Uh, I watched the documentary in question last night. And while I was taking my notes this morning, I went on ahead and turned it on again and watched it again because it's a very, very good documentary and I will recommend it to anyone. Uh, the documentary in question, and I'm pretty much just not going to regurgitate what is said in the documentary. A lot of things that I'm going to talk about are in the documentary, but there are also a lot of things that I'm going to talk about that are not in the documentary that it didn't cover. The documentary in question deals with the treatment or mistreatment, really, of orcas in the organization known as SeaWorld. The documentary came out in 2013, and it's called Blackfish. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to start this episode off by saying that I'm not one of the people that whenever I watched this documentary, it changed my opinion of SeaWorld. I have always had a very negative opinion about SeaWorld. And that all stems from, you know, I was born in 1987, so I am a uh, 
born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. I'm a byproduct of a lot of 90s films and all of that. And so a lot of people my age will <clears throat> remember a certain little film that came out in 1993, I believe, called Free Willy. And it deals with an orca that is in captivity. And, you know, the name is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, they're trying to set Willy free. And whenever I first watched that film as a child, I was very much like, you know, it just, it, it resonated with me. And I was, I, I wanted Willie to get free in the movie. I didn't like the fact that they were keeping him in captivity and all of that. And so after the movie was over and I ended up really, really loving the movie from that point on, anytime I ever saw an ad or something for SeaWorld and they were very highly like advertising for their Orca shows, the Shamu shows and all of that kind of stuff. I was very much like, nope, nope, don't care for that. Don't ever want to go there. Don't ever want to see that. Don't, nope. They need to let all of those orcas free. They need to be like Willie. They need to let them all loose and everything. So that's whenever I was a kid. And as I got older and I was able to have access to like the internet and to be able to look up various incidents that took place at SeaWorld dealing with the orcas and all of that kind of stuff, I, it just very much hammered it more in my head that SeaWorld has no business having anything to do with orcas. They have proven more than once, dozens of occasions, they are incompetent whenever it comes to dealing with orcas. Completely and 100% incompetent. Not only incompetent on dealing with orcas and consistently putting trainers and other staff members and things like that in danger by letting them have something to do with the orcas, but then would turn around and after an incident would happen and things would, you know, go south, they would, when concerning with the media, they would spin it in a way as, well, this was the fault of the trainer. It was the trainer's fault. We are not responsible. The orca is not responsible. It's all on the trainer and all of that, which is... A load of crap, to be honest with you. I'm very, very passionate about this. Um, this episode was done by request. Uh, I can't, again, I'm sorry, I cannot remember the username of uh, this person. You know, you can go back to uh, some of my other episodes. I've talked about it and mentioned them uh, numerous times. But they requested that I do this episode. Uh, they could not remember... Like, they just said that they had watched a documentary on orcas dealing with SeaWorld and all of that. I had already seen Blackfish. And so I was like, is it Blackfish? And they were like, yeah, I believe it was and everything. I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll cover it. I've got no problem covering it. I've got no problem talking about this. I've got no problem trying to shed light on how terrible of an organization SeaWorld is slash was slash always will be, slash always has been, and all of that. I've got no problem with it. None whatsoever. I'm extremely anti-SeaWorld. And I, I firmly believe that if you've never seen Blackfish, <clears throat> that if you strictly just see their advertisements and listen to their press releases and things like that, there's a chance that you really don't know what all has been going on 
with SeaWorld, primarily with the orcas and all of that. But if you watch Blackfish, I own it on my Vudu. I bought it digitally and it's in my documentary list on Vudu. But it is currently available on Hulu. So if you want it to watch it, you can just get on Hulu. I'm not aware if it's available on any other streaming services or anything like that. Um, I do know that it was released on DVD. I'm not sure about Blu-ray. Um, you know, not long ago. I say not long ago, not long after it had come out. Uh, the documentary came out in 2013. So it probably hit home media 2014, 2015, something like that. Um, I seriously doubt it's very pricey. So if you want to go into a much deeper delve of the treatment of orcas and the incidents that have occurred at SeaWorld dealing with the orcas, I highly recommend watching that documentary. Again, it's just simply titled Blackfish, one word. And it will open your eyes. Like uh, Emily... You know, I was already very anti-SeaWorld, as I've said, and it was actually one of our friends that, uh, I, I can't remember what it was. Like, I dealt, I was doing something, and I mentioned orcas in some kind of way, and he mentioned something about SeaWorld, and I was like, F SeaWorld, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, he's like, uh, have you ever seen Blackfish? And I was like, I don't even know what that is, <laughs> you know, and he's like, that's a documentary. And so I was like, okay, and so looked it up, me and Emily watched it, and Emily was one of the people that was, she knew what SeaWorld was. She was not largely aware of a lot of the incidents that had occurred at SeaWorld, a lot of the sketchy things that happened at SeaWorld, the bullcrap excuses that SeaWorld would throw out after an incident occurred. And so watching the documentary really opened up her eyes as to how SeaWorld, how, just how shady of an organization that they are. And I do want to preface that if anybody from SeaWorld ever listens to this and all that kind of stuff, everything that I'm saying is my own opinion and it's based completely on public information that is out there and all of that. So I'm not saying anything that is not already very, very, very well known and well released to the public. So there's your disclaimer, just throwing that out there. So... <clears throat> Let's get to it. Um, well, just gonna, I'm going to go ahead and throw out something else. Some of the things that I'm going to talk about, because it does deal with orca attacks, you know, orcas attacking humans and all of that. Some of the things I'm going to talk about, some of my listeners might find grotesque. They might find gruesome. They might find it uh, triggering in some kind of way. So uh, some of the things I'm going to say can be very... It can be very gross, and it can be very sad con concerning some of the things that happened to some of the trainers and other individuals dealing with these orca attacks. Now, before I actually get to SeaWorld, I'm going to do like a, a jump into the past to basically talk about how the capture of orcas began. So it began in the late 60s, really went on into the 70s and all of that. The first capture of an orca that ever happened, it happened in the northeastern Pacific. And the orca in question that was captured, they named Wanda. Now, Wanda ended up dying two days later. Um, <clears throat> you know, whenever 
they captured her, they put her in a little zoo or like some kind of little enclosure or whatever. She was not thrilled about being in the enclosure. She kept swimming around and ramming the sides of it and all of that kind of stuff and ended up causing so much damage to herself that she ended up dying two days later. Now, the next whale that ended up... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to try my best not to refer to them as whales because they are not whales. I know that they have the nickname Killer Whale, but they are actually in the dolphin family. They are not whales. So... The next orca that was captured was one by the name of Moby Doll. Now, how this ended up happening was this particular orca was harpooned. And it was harpooned towards the head. Uh, it caused a skull fracture with the harpoon. The harpoon did not kill it. So they captured it and they put it in the Vancouver Aquarium. And while being in the Vancouver Aquarium, this orca lasted three months before dying, and after it had died, they did like an autopsy on it and everything, and found that the harpoon had done more damage than they initially thought that it did, and numbered with, um, you know, just terrible living conditions, not really feeding it very well, and all of that kind of stuff. That's what caused it to die. But it did last three months. This was the first time and because it lasted three months, there were people that had it, you know, because it was at this uh, Vancouver Aquarium. Many, many people paid to come see it in those three months. So it really caused organizations like zoos and aquariums and organizations like SeaWorld and things like that to really realize these things were a moneymaker, that people want to come and see them and all of that. Orcas at this point in time, in the 60s and 70s, very, very, very little information was known about them. Um, again, they had the, the name of Killer Whale. They had a very bad reputation. Um, whenever they would open their mouth and people would see the sharp teeth, they would just, they basically saw an orca as just a massive giant shark and was like, if you get in the water with that thing, you're dead. You're as good as dead. It's going to try to eat you, devour you, rip you to shreds, and everything else. And so, going into this aquarium, people normally, being terrified of them in the wild, were perfectly fine with coming and paying and seeing them in captivity. And so, that's whenever organizations really began to see, huh, this is a money-making thing, so we're going to attempt to capture more, like actually go out and attempt to capture them as opposed to just finding one that was, oh, we're going to try to kill it. Oh, it didn't die. So let's go on ahead and put it in an aquarium or, oh, this one was uh, entangled in a net. So let's uh, go ahead and scoop him up and bring it wherever and all that kind of stuff. And they were actually going to start helming actual capture roundups and things like that. <clears throat> now, one one whale in particular was entangled in a net in Namu, British Columbia. They ended up naming the orca after where it was captured in Namu. So the name of the orca is Namu. It was caught in a net. They put it in an aquarium. They had it and everything. Well, they wanted it to have a companion. And so they went out and they caught a female orca. And they decided to name it Shamu. Shamu translates to friend of Namu 
or it even could be translated as she Namu, basically just saying a, uh, a female version of Namu. However, Namu and Shamu did not get along very well. So what happens since Shamu was the newest one, they decided, let's put her on the market, let's try to get rid of her and everything. Who ended up purchasing her? None other than SeaWorld in 1965. <clears throat> now, that was whenever, you know, everyone knows who Shamu is. Everyone knows who Shamu is. It's possibly the most famous orca name of all time. What a lot of people do not know is that Shamu was not just simply one whale or one orca, really. Boy, that's going to be hard for me not to refer to them as, uh, as whales. But uh, it's not just one orca. SeaWorld had this particular show that they called like the Shamu Show or something like that, okay? And any orca that was doing that show, it had like its regular name, whatever the name was for that particular orca, but they would refer to it as Shamu during the show. And so people really associated that, like, you know, as far as orcas were concerned, that Shamu was like the main orca at SeaWorld. Well, no, there was only one original Shamu sold to SeaWorld in 1965. Not long after they had Shamu, there was an incident with Shamu. There was a person by the name of Annette Eckes. Now, they were filming a kind of like a promotional video or something like that to put on, you know, to send to TVs to like air and everything like, oh, look, we have an orca and look, we have trainers that can swim with the orcas and all that kind of stuff. And what ended up happening was Annette was... There were other trainers that had been swimming with Shamu before, but they all wore wetsuits. They had a certain kind of look to them and all of that. Whenever they finally decided that they were going to film the promotional video, and they told Annette, we want you to get into the tank with Shamu, she was not wearing a wetsuit. She was simply wearing a bikini. And whenever she got in, things went south. Very, very quickly. Shamu attacked her, would like drag her underwater. And, you know, it's it's a miracle that she ended up getting out of there. It, it really is. And <clears throat> the thing is, is that Shamu had already either attacked or showed aggression towards other trainers in the past. This is where it begins with like SeaWorld doing their very sketchy stuff and all of that kind of mess. Because whenever they told Annette, get into the enclosure, we're going to film you swimming with the orca and on the orca and all of that kind of stuff, she had no idea that Shamu had a history of aggression. That she had a history of attacking trainers or causing incidents with trainers. No member of SeaWorld staff informed her of this. She was a member of SeaWorld staff. She was fairly new, from what I gather. But SeaWorld would not disclose if certain orcas were dangerous, or if they showed signs of aggression. They would get them, 
Whenever an incident took place, they really tried to bury it. They tried to keep it isolated and all of that. And whenever new employees would come in, they would essentially just be like, here's your wetsuit, jump on in. Would not tell them, would not warn them, anything. Like, that's that's sorry. That is extremely sorry that, that they would do that kind of thing. Now, the original Shamu died in 1971. Okay? So, she was captured uh, or sold to SeaWorld in 1965, ended up dying in 1971. Ever since then, they would do these big special shows with orcas and all that. They would simply be referred to as the Shamu shows. And so that's whenever people, ever since 1971, people have believed that there was an actual orca by the name of Shamu at uh, SeaWorld and all of that, and that it was like just one orca. It was not. The original Shamu passed away in 1971. And then after that, they just kept the segment as the Shamu shows or something like that. So, whenever the mass captures began to where they're like, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to start specifically targeting orcas to try and get them and all of that, there was one particular uh, pod called the L25 pod that they were going to start trying to capture. And whenever they would go to capture these orcas, they had people in boats. And, you know, by now, you know, I've talked about before with the orca attacks episode that I did. Orcas are smart. And they remember things. It did not take them long to figure out that whenever little boats were deployed, that their children were going to start disappearing. Their pups were going to be taken. To let you know how intelligent these animals are, whenever the boats would deploy and be taking them, the mothers of the pups would submerge very, very deeply. The pups would follow them. The males stayed above water, or at least close to the top of the water, so that they could be the ones that were visible. They would then separate. The mothers and the children, the pups, would go in one direction. The males would continue to go in another direction. The boats cannot see the mothers and the pups. They would only see the males going off in a different direction. They would assume it was the entire pod. They would go after them. That's how intelligent they are, that they were able to figure that out. Now, unfortunately, because this had become such a high-profile thing of capturing these orcas to sell and make money and all of that, they also had aircraft. And the aircraft would be able to spot the females and the pups going in a different direction, and it did not take them long to radio in to the boats to turn around, change course, go after the mothers and the pups. They would corner them up. They would use, like, uh, dynamite and things like that to corral the orcas, to lead them in whatever direction they wanted them to go into. They would corner them up. They would separate the pups from the adults with nets. Like, they would put a big net on so that none of them could get away. And then they would isolate the pups with nets and everything to separate from the parents. 
Now, while they're still while they're trying to load up the pups, the parents are losing their minds. They're on the other side of the nets and they're whistling, they're squealing, wailing, making every kind of noise possible, calling out to their children. It was becoming like a problem to the point to where they're like, we don't know what these adults are going to do. Lower the net so that they can escape. Orcas are very, very complex creatures whenever it comes to their brain. I'm, I'm going to talk about their, their brains real quick. Okay. In studies, it has been shown that they have a section of the brain that, just like us, to where they feel emotion. I'm not talking about, you know, any animal can feel afraid or feel, you know, some kind of way. I'm talking full-blown complex emotions. These things have been documented and studied to be able to show. They can show happiness. They can show joy. They can show sadness. They can show anger frustration. They can feel lonely. Like they can feel anxiety. They can develop depression. Very, very complex animals. It has been shown that their emotion, the part of their brain that controls the emotions of these animals is more complex than us humans. Orcas have the ability to feel more emotions and feel them more deeply than we do. That's crazy. You know, I know a lot of people love to sit there and think that humans are very, very distinct from the rest of the animal kingdom. And in a lot of ways that we, in a lot of ways we are, but in a lot of ways we don't come close to certain other animals. Orcas are one of those types of animals. They feel things very, very deeply. Uh, They have a lifespan in the wild. The females can live nearly to 100. The males can live anywhere from 65 to 70, something like that, okay? The pods are not Like sometimes, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes a lone orca will come in and join a pod and all of that kind of stuff. But the pods themselves are more like a wolf pack. They're a family. There's mothers and fathers and they have pups. And then those orcas grow up and they have pups and everything. It has been documented in the wild that orcas that are born from a mother, a certain mother, they will stay with that mother for the rest of that mother's life and will not leave her. Whenever they get separated, they call out to one another, they find each other, they show signs of being happy whenever they get back to one another and all of that kind of stuff. Like It's literally as if they have a mother-daughter or mother-son relationship just like we do as humans with our children or something like that, okay? Um, one of the, uh, one of the orcas that was captured in 
during like these mass captures and everything was an orca by the name of Lolita. She is still living to this day. She is the second oldest captured orca in captivity. Okay. This this took place in the, the late 60s, early 70s, something like that, is whenever she was captured as a juvenile. Given everything that I've just stated, um, well, any, anywho, hang on, before, before I get into all of that, talking about their emotions and all of that kind of stuff, whenever, you know, I said to you guys that the guys that were capturing the orcas would say, lower the nets, let the adults leave, let them go so that they can escape and all of that kind of stuff. They would lower the net. The adults would not leave. They stayed on the other side of the net, staring at their children, wailing and whistling and clicking and everything else, almost as if they were screaming, leave my child alone. And they witnessed their children essentially be kidnapped from themselves. I want you guys to keep in mind that I just mentioned all of the types of emotions that they can feel and that the mother and her pup will have a relationship that will last literally decades and they have very good memories and everything. That is the equivalent as if a human mother witnesses her child being kidnapped from her and it's happening only about 10 feet away from her, but it's on the other side of, say, plexiglass. She cannot call for help, she cannot get to the child, and she witnesses her child get kidnapped by these individuals. She's going to carry that for the rest of her life. These orcas carry that for the rest of their lives. The pup will go the rest of her life, or his life, wanting to know where its mother is. The mother will go the rest of her life knowing that her child was kidnapped from her. Again, Lolita, the second oldest captured whale is or orca, is one of the orcas that was captured during this time, still in captivity to this day. Um, I believe this is the orca that uh, this... I'm kind of scanning through my notes right now. I believe that this is the orca that... Um, that this is the case with... It may be another one, so I might retract this, this information uh, further on in the episode. Lolita's mother is still living. Okay? Still out there. 90 years old. To this day, 90 years old. And has had to live with all these years witnessing her pup taken from her. With all the studies that's been done about how good their memories are, about how much type of emotions that they feel and all that kind of stuff, that, that mother has carried that with her for the rest of this, this entire time. And that's sad. So, there was an incident that took place during one of the mass huntings or mass captures that four juveniles ended up dying after they were rounded up, four juveniles ended up dying. One adult that tried to get through the net to the pups got entangled in the net, could not come up for air, and drowned. So there's a total of five orcas that died. Um, to try and cover this up, the people that were doing the mass capture got each of the orcas 
cut them open, filled their stomachs and their tails full of rocks, anchors, and chains so that they would sink. So that it could be covered up and all of that because it was illegal to kill an orca. Okay? By accident or no. They almost got away with it. Unfortunately for them, very fortunate for animal rights uh, people and all of that, some of the orcas washed ashore. And people were able to see that they had a big slash in their bellies and that they were full of rocks and chains and anchors and everything else. And they pretty much knew this was done by humans. So, in 1972, the Marine Mammal Protection Act was passed, which basically made it to where you cannot capture whales or orcas over here in the States and all of that. Without skipping a beat, there was another part of the world that had a pretty good orca population that was much more lenient on the capture of orcas. And that was over in Iceland. So these people, they go to Iceland now, and there were two orcas, main orcas that I'm going to talk about that ended up getting captured during these Icelandic captures. The first one, you've probably heard the name, it's a fairly famous uh, orca, by the name of Keiko. People my age, I've already mentioned this towards the beginning of the episode, people my age will be very familiar with Keiko. Keiko is the orca that played Willy in Free Willy. And because of Free Willy, like being released and all of that kind of stuff, they were able to look into the conditions that... Now, Keiko was not owned by SeaWorld. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. But they were able to look at the conditions that Keiko was being raised in. Keiko had very terrible living conditions. Keiko was constantly uh, sick and ill and all of that kind of stuff. So they decided they're going to try to improve the living conditions of Keiko. And so it got to the point to where they airlifted Keiko from where it was being held to a new facility. And then they decided, you know what? We're going to try to reintroduce this orca to the wild. Okay. But now this is all happening in like, you know, the 90s. This orca had been captured since the 70s. So you're looking at a pretty good amount of years that this thing has been in captivity. It's not as simple as just dropping it off in open water and be, okay, best of luck, you know, because it's gone many, many years being fed, being taken care of, being tended to, and all of that kind of stuff. It's not as simple as just, all right, best of luck to you kind of thing. So in 1998, it was airlifted to another area and very gradually began to be reintroduced to the wild. And then in July of 2001, Keiko was actually released back into the wild, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, it does not have a happy ending, Is and that it was released in 2001, but in December of 2003, uh, Keiko ended up passing away due to many illnesses and all of that, which many people attribute to its terrible living conditions that it lived in while in captivity. And that even though being reintroduced into the wild and all of that, it was just never able to recover from the way it was treated while being, um, like while it was in captivity. So that's one orca that was captured. The next one, or one of the ones that was captured, and from this point on, 
this orca is going to be one of the main focal points of what I'm going to be talking about. And it's also one of the main focal points of the documentary, possibly the main focal point of the documentary, Blackfish. Uh, during the Icelandic captures, they captured a two-year-old orca that was 11 and a half feet long. This orca would end up becoming, quite possibly and arguably, the most infamous orca of all time. Its name is Tilikum. To let you guys know how infamous this particular orca is, if you've never heard of Tilikum, if you don't know anything about Tilikum or anything like that, in the history of orcas in captivity, there have been numerous incidents of trainers being slammed up against the walls, um, an orca doing like, you know, leaping out of the water and falling on top of a trainer, grabbing a trainer by the arm or by the foot, dragging it underwater and all of that kind of stuff. There's, there's dozens upon dozens of those types of incidents. In the history of orcas in captivity, there have only been four fatalities. Four people have died due to orcas in captivity. Of those four people, Tilikum is associated with three of those deaths. And I'm, I'm going to get into all of them. I'm going to go ahead and say I do not feel that this orca was dangerous. I do not feel that this orca was, you know, like a lot of people, I'll use a pit bull as an example. A lot of people believe that pit bulls are a very dangerous breed and all that kind of stuff. They're really not. They're really not. I own one. He's just, he's a big baby. You know, like he, he gets his feelings hurt. Like there's no tomorrow <laughs> and everything, you know, he, but there is a stigma about pit bulls. And so unfortunately, Tilikum has this reputation to where when people think of Tilikum or they hear the stories about Tilikum, they're like, oh yeah, he was a very aggressive and dangerous orca and all of that kind of stuff. No, I'm going to get into all of that, all of the circumstances and conditions that led up to the attacks that would end up killing certain individuals and all of that kind of stuff and things that many scientists believe possibly led to what caused the attacks and all of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> now, whenever Tilikum was captured, at first they put him in a zoo. He remained in the zoo for, I believe it was about two years, so, give or take, something like that. He ended up being transferred to an organization by the name of Sealand. Okay. Whenever he got to that to that organization, the staff loved him. He was very easygoing. They openly talked about how happy he would be to see certain individuals. He would come out of the water, like he would raise his head out of the water. His mouth would be open. He would be making a very happy, like clicking sound and all of that kind of stuff. Very, very easy to work with. Very, very intelligent. Learned tricks very, very easily, very, very quickly. Most of his handlers said it's like he was openly wanting and willing to learn anything that he could. He was a very light-hearted, kind-hearted creature. And every single staff member that dealt with him loved him like there's no tomorrow. 
unfortunately, many of the problems that Tillicum would face in his life began whenever he went to Sealand. Because orcas are very territorial. Not only are they very territorial, but there's a hierarchy in the different pods. There are alpha males, alpha females, things like that, and all of that kind of stuff. Whenever Tilikum was brought to Sealand, there were already two other females in Sealand. They already had terrible, and I mean terrible, living conditions for these orcas. So to throw another orca in there, especially one the size of Tilikum, by the time Tilikum became full-grown, he would end up being the largest orca in captivity. He was massive. He was a massive, massive animal, okay? And so by throwing him in this already very small pool with two other females, the females would bully him. They would attack him. They would do this thing called teeth raking, which basically what they would do is they would clench their mouths and like raise their lips up a little bit, and they would go by... Tilikum and rake their teeth across his side. Sometimes there will be lots of blood. He sustained many, many injuries. He had lots of scratches. Uh, staff would say sometimes whenever they would close them up for the night and come back the next morning and let them out from the tip of his nose to the bottom of his tail, he just had scratches just going all along his sides to where all night long these females attacked him beat him, bullied him, and everything else. It was really creating a stressful environment for Tilikum. Keep in mind, these orcas can feel emotions in more complexity than what we can as humans. So you can just go on ahead and give yourself an example of imagine you come home and every single night you were locked in the bathroom. Because it's a small, the, the, the pool that they were put into at night. I want, I want you to keep in mind that at this time, Tilikum is 11 and a half feet long, okay? The pool that they would put him in at night with two other orcas was 20 feet across, 20 by 20, and 30 feet deep. Just Tilikum alone took up more than half of the length of this pool. Now, you put two other orcas in there with him. It was openly stated by staff that whenever they would be put into that pool, all the lights would be turned off, and they would virtually have to remain stationary all night long because there was just no room for them to move. These are the type of living conditions that these orcas were being dealt with and everything. Again, this is not SeaWorld, this is Sea Land, okay? Not related to SeaWorld, all right? Now, <clears throat> um, so they would pretty much stay immobile the entire time that they were, they were in there. So anywho, like I was saying, the example that I was given of having a very small, confined area, imagine going to work or something like that, coming home, the moment you come home, the moment you come through your front door, you have to go immediately to the bathroom, okay, the restroom that's in your house. Close the door. Once you're in there, you see that there are two other adults, full-grown adults that are in there. 
And once you get in there, the you have to stay in there until the next day when you go to leave to go back to work. And all night long, the entire time that you're in there, you were getting bullied and punched and kicked and bitten and everything else by these other two adults that's in there with you. Chances are you're going to develop a very aggressive mentality. You are going to develop a very depressed mentality. And unfortunately, there was an incident that occurred. This would end up being the first death attributed to not only an orca in capture, in captivity, but the first death that Tilikum did. Sealand was already in very deep trouble, no pun intended. Um, they weren't making a whole lot of money. Um, a lot of spectators that went on the day that this happened uh, would openly say that it looked like they were on their last leg, uh, looked like the facilities were not doing very well and all of that kind of stuff. But they were like, ah, you know, we're here to watch, uh, to watch this show and see what happens. On February 20th, 1991, an individual by the name of Kelty Byrne, she was a competitive swimmer, she was working at Sealand <clears throat> just to make some extra money, okay? And during a show, at this point in time with at Sealand, they did not have trainers that would get into the water with the orcas, okay? During a show... They were like, you know, the orcas were swimming around and all of that kind of stuff. And they would throw fish in there to feed them and all of that kind of stuff. As Kelty was walking along the ledge of the pool, she slipped. Her leg went into the water. I think the her second leg went into the water. And after, like, she was kind of halfway submerged, she was trying to pull herself up out of the pool. Telecom came, seized her foot, and drug her under and proceeded to pull her all over the pool. And according to spectators, would keep her underwater for anywhere from five seconds to potentially a minute underwater, just dragging her along. At first, spectators, eyewitnesses, would sit there and say that they didn't think anything was... You know, I lied earlier, I'm not going to lie. There were trainers that were in the water with them, but only certain trainers were going into the water with the orcas. And whatever she was drug under, a lot of the eyewitnesses thought that, they, you know, they really didn't see her get drug under. It was one of those deals where it's like, okay, well, that's just another trainer with the orca. Then all of a sudden she would come up. Then she would go back down. Next time she would come up, she's flailing around a little bit more. Eyes are a little bit wide. She'd be pulled back down. She came back up. She's starting to panic. She's starting to flail around and kick her legs around and all that kind of stuff. And then the screaming began. Screaming, help me. Somebody save me. I don't want to die. One eyewitness specifically said that they had heard her scream, I don't want to die. And Tilikum kept dragging her around and all of that. The other handlers and trainers came to try and help her. The other two females were in the pen with her. They were pretty much thwarting any attempts to rescue her. Eyewitnesses say that 
Tilikum was pretty much the one that was doing all of the stuff to her, and the other two was just kind of swimming around, doing like a perimeter kind of thing, and not really getting involved or anything like that. And she ended up drowning, and she died. Now, because of that, that happened in 1991. In 1992, after news had come out that the attack had occurred, a handler was killed. The organization was not doing so well to begin with already. They went defunct in 1992. Well, they've got to do something with their orcas. Who comes knocking? SeaWorld. SeaWorld doesn't come knocking to sit there and be like, oh, we're going to give these orcas a better environment. They were only interested, really, in Tilikum. Why? He was a massive male. And they wanted to breed him. They wanted his semen. They wanted to breed him with their females so that they could have a never-ending supply of orcas. That's why they wanted Tilikum. And so they got Tilikum. And he was sold to SeaWorld. Here's where things start getting a little sketchy again. Prior to this attack, now I don't know if this originated from SeaWorld or not, but or like after the attack had happened, it was trying to be spun that Tilikum was not the one that did the killing, that did the attack or anything like that. It was the females. Not only were they 100% confirming that it was the females, then they would turn around and say, well, it's difficult to tell who it was exactly. Eyewitness accounts flat out say, no, we know which one it was. It was the big one. That's Tilikum. Another way to distinguish him over the females is that Tilikum had that thing to where it mostly happens in male orcas and everything. His dorsal fin was bent over in that like very you know upside-down U-shape or something like that. And eyewitnesses said it's the one that had the bent-over dorsal fin that did this. So they knew it was Tilikum. There were eyewitness accounts saying that it was Tilikum. Everybody was staying quiet. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't Tilikum. We're not sure which one it was. We're pretty sure it was the females and all that kind of stuff. They get Tilikum to SeaWorld. SeaWorld does not tell any of their staff or their trainers or their handlers anything about the death of Kelty Byrne. In the Blackfish documentary, there was a former SeaWorld trainer that they were interviewing at one point, and most of the people that they interview in the documentary of Blackfish are former SeaWorld trainers that all of this is coming from, okay? And she flat out said that there was another trainer that was walking kind of close to Tillicum's enclosure and kind of saw Tilikum. He was like bobbing his head out of the water and she was just kind of talking to him, you know, stuff like, Hey Tilly, how's it going? Tilly was his nickname and like, Hey Tilly, how are you today? You know, stuff like that and everything. One of the managers or one of the supervisors or something like that saw her interacting with Tilikum and screamed, get her out of there. Leave that orca alone. Get away from there. And This former trainer pretty much said that was the first time it kind of clicked in her head 
there's something with this orca that SeaWorld is keeping from us. Because whenever they bought Tilikum, they openly stated it wasn't Tilikum. He had nothing to do with the death. It was the two females and all of that, okay? But then they're going to sit, but then she was sitting there, the former trainer was sitting there going, if he had nothing to do with the death, why did you just scream at this person the way you did get away from him? And that was the first time it really clicked in her head to where it's like, there's something going on with this particular orca. There's something that they know that they're not telling us. Caution was very much taken by management uh, whenever it came to uh, dealing with Tilikum. Okay. Now, over the years, SeaWorld would openly spread lies about orcas and about, you know, various different things about how, like, well, our orcas are a family. They're a big pod, a family of orcas and everything, which was a bold-faced lie. They were not a family. They were literally cherry-picked from different organizations, bought from different organizations, or captured out in the wild and dumped together and everything. And so there are numerous incidents. You know, orcas, they have a very complex language. They have a very complex um, patriarchy and all of that. And so there's been numerous incidents that whenever they would bring in another orca that could be viewed as an outsider, could not speak the language, could not communicate properly with the other orcas and everything. And whenever they would interact with the other orcas, they would be attacked by uh, the teeth raking that I talked about earlier. That would happen to Tilikum. That happened to Tilikum as well. Whenever he got to SeaWorld, he would constantly be attacked by the other um, orcas that were there that could have potentially caused even more aggressive behavior out of him. But um, <clears throat> there have been orcas that have died in captivity because of other orcas attacking them. Because whenever they would be introduced to each other, the other orcas that were already there would basically be like, you're not one of us. You're, you're, not, you're not in this family. And they would attack it until, and, and kill it. They would ram it with their heads, breaking its ribs, causing internal damages. There's video evidence, and it's in the Blackfish uh, documentary, that these orcas attacked another orca and attacked it so bad it looks like a shark attack. Like, you see this orca in the pool. The other orcas have left it alone at this point, but you see this orca in the pool, and it's just surrounded by blood. And it ended up bleeding out. It bled to death and died because of all of this aggression, these different cultures, these different languages that these orcas feel, and all of that caused aggression, and they would attack other orcas to the point of killing them. So... <clears throat> Another thing that they would lie about is their lifespan. On average, captured orcas only live to be about 35 to 40 years old. Okay? Now, certain animal rights activists would sit there and say it's because of the captivity conditions. <clears throat> you are essentially cutting the lifespan of these animals in half. SeaWorld immediately went into damage control and made it part of all of their shows and all of their tours and things like that to go out of their way and explain to people that even 
not, not, not only is the lifespan of an orca only anywhere from 25 to 35 years, <clears throat> but they actually live longer in captivity than they do out in the wild, which was a bold-faced lie. It was common knowledge amongst animal, like, you know, biologists and things like that, that in the 80s, that orcas could live longer than humans. That females could live to be close to 100, give or take. That males could live to be from anywhere from 50 to 75 years old. It was a bold-faced lie that they did to the public trying to make it be like, oh, no, 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 we're not causing, you know, these animals to uh, to get sick and die of illnesses and things like that. Like, oh, no, no, they're just, they're at the end of their life, you know? Like, it was just, it was lies. Straight up, bold-faced lies. And SeaWorld did this virtually throughout the entire time that they were housing captive orcas. Now, on to the second death that happened concerning an orca in captivity and the second death that is attributed to Tilikum. There was an individual by the name of Daniel P. Dukes. And pretty much what happened, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the public relations version first, okay? But the first part of it pretty much is unchanged. Basically what happened, no matter what his, his reasoning was behind it or whatever, is he went to a show, he was in the SeaWorld property, you know, the premises and all of that. After it closed and everyone else left, he hid. He hid somewhere. And after everybody else left and nighttime had come and they're putting the, the orcas up for the night and all of that kind of stuff, that's whenever he comes out and he was found the next day. This happened on July 6th, um, 1999, I believe, which July 6th is my birthday, by the way, just throwing that out there. He was discovered July 7th, the morning of July 7th. Uh, he was naked, and Tilikum had him in the pool and was kind of parading him around, just kind of swimming around with him, had him in his mouth and all of that kind of stuff, you know, you pushing the his corpse with his nose and all of that kind of stuff and everything. And so they're like, oh, God, oh, God, you know, this, this is terrible and everything, and so we got to get him out of here. So the authorities were contacted and all of that kind of stuff. And the public relations version that was released was basically... This guy was a thug. He had had some bad run-ins with the law, which, you know, not going to lie, he did. Um, he was potentially on drugs. And after everyone else had left the facility, he stayed behind and decided that he wanted to take a swim and have a moment with an orca and that he willingly stripped himself down, got into the water, and because he was on drugs or intoxicated in some kind of way, he drowned. That's the story that SeaWorld released. Telecom had nothing to do with this man's death. He was intoxicated in some form or fashion. 
got into the water, and he drowned. There's just one little problem. The coroner's report completely contradicted that statement. According to SeaWorld, nothing happened. Tillicum did nothing. It's all on the fault of the man. He got into the water and he drowned. According to the coroner's report, the body was mutilated. The body had much like blunt force trauma. Um, fractures. The body was bent in ways it should not have been. Um, this might be a little bit grotesque for some of my listeners. Uh, the man's genital- genitals were devoured. Th- this is not... That completely contradicts SeaWorld's statement of, oh, he just drowned and Tillicum had nothing to do with his death. Boo. He had something to do with the death. Now, unfortunately, there is no kind of footage. There is nothing to re- that out there that exists to ever really let us know what happened that night. Whether he was on the side of the pool just trying to pet the orca or something like that. Whether he actually got into the water to swim with the orca or whatever, but nonetheless, the idea of, oh, Tillicum had nothing to do with this, he just drowned, is is a complete and total lie. That's just all it is to it. Uh, One former trainer says that he finds it very difficult to believe that SeaWorld did not know that something was happening, or that something happened, because it happened at nighttime, and this former trainer, this is in the documentary Blackfish, openly states that while he was working there, he said that SeaWorld has cameras everywhere, pointed at all the pools. They have underwater cameras to where they can see what happens like underwater and all of that. There were there was a night staff. There was a night trainer that would be present to, you know, just in case the orcas were in some sort of need this trainer would be there to be able to help the orcas and everything. And he said, you're never going to convince me that SeaWorld did not know something more that they just simply were not sharing. Now, there is a chance that the cameras did not catch anything. There is a chance that even though there was a trainer present, if the man was pulled under by Tillicum, Tillicum may have never brought him back up and he drowned underwater and then all of the damage that was done was after he was already dead, you know, but who knows who, who really knows. Okay. So moving on to the third death that happened, um, concerning an orca, but Tillicum did not have anything to do with this one. There was another park that was called Loro Parque. Okay. And this thing was, I believe it was located off of the Canary Islands. And the person that ended up dying was Alexis Martinez. Now, SeaWorld owned the orca that this happened with. The name of the orca was Cato. And they sent the orca to this park, just, you know, on lease or something like that, to help with, um, you know, get revenue and all of that kind of mess. Because it's a business. 
for SeaWorld. They're not concerned about the well-being or the safety of the orcas or the trainers or anything like that. They were only concerned about making a dollar. And so they leased this orca to this park, Laurel Parque. Okay? And whenever they were going to bring these orcas there, they brought some of the trainers from Laurel Parque to go to SeaWorld to do training so that they could see how, you know, to go through the methods and all of that, what their trainers do with the orcas and all of that kind of stuff. And there was one person in particular by the name of Alex Martinez. All of the other trainers at Laura Parque, it's been pretty much openly stated that like they, they weren't very good. They didn't catch on very well and all that kind of stuff. But Alexis Martinez did. And they said that he was just as good as being like on par with the SeaWorld trainers. And so he had developed a relationship with the orcas and he would be in the water with them. And he would perform tricks with them and all of that. And one day they were doing a rehearsal, uh, getting ready for a show. And he was pulled underwater. And after he was pulled underwater, he was rammed. Okay. And again, SeaWorld releases all of these statements that the orca was not at fault. It was the trainer's fault. They would always put the blame on the trainers. Always, 100%. It's not the orca's fault. It's not our fault. It's your fault. It's human error. That's what they would always do. As these deaths and attacks are stacking up, OSHA is getting involved. And there's constant court hearings and things like that where they're constantly, OSHA is constantly stating you're putting these trainers in dangerous positions. You're putting these, danger these uh, trainers in in situations that they could die, that they could be mutilated, that they could be seriously hurt. Like, you know, they were constantly trying to put more regulations on SeaWorld, and SeaWorld would every single time go to appeal the decisions, the decisions would get reversed, or OSHA would withdraw them, and all that kind of stuff, and that so that would always happen. So I say that all that's going on in the background, because it was finally, with the fourth casualty, that SeaWorld pretty much could not hide it anymore. I want to preface this, that the second the third death and the first death that happened, you know, keep in mind, this happened in front of people. It wasn't like the second death with Daniel Dukes where it was isolated, nobody really knows what happened, it was just him and the orca. There was always an audience, either a paid audience or staff that witnessed this, what happened. This next one that happened, it happened at SeaWorld during a performance. And it's probably the most infamous attack that has happened because it was finally the one that pretty much made it to where something was going to be done. And it's a very, very, very sad thing. One of the trainers, her name was Dawn Branchow, she was quite possibly the most popular SeaWorld employee that there was. Nobody had anything negative to say about this woman. They all loved her. They all adored her. She was very experienced, had been doing this for years, and they would say her smile was infectious, and she was just this, this wonderful person to be around, okay? Okay. 
Um, so what ended up happening on February 24th, 2010, I remember seeing this in the news. I was at work, um, when the, the newspaper came in the next day, for those of you that, uh, some of you youngsters and everything, there used to be this piece of paper that would be delivered to people that would have all the major news things that was going on, you know, of note and all that. And so you would sit there and read the newspaper to find out basically what was going on in your area or the big major news stories that was going on, um, you know, across the country. So just a little joke there, but anywho, I remember getting the newspaper and seeing this attack and reading about it and all of that. Um, that, that just goes to show, you know, like living in Louisiana in just a little local newspaper, that's how big of a deal this was. That's how widespread the story got spread out and all of that. That's how this, how big this was and everything. So on February 24th, 2010, they were having a show. SeaWorld was having a show. Uh, people that were present, uh, staff members and all of that kind of stuff openly stated that that show was a disaster. You know, and this is prior to the attack. The orcas were not listening. They were not following their cues. They, you know, it was just a bad show. And Tillicum was pretty much always the main event. He was, he was obviously the biggest. He was, the, at this point in time, he was the largest orca in captivity. And he would always be the main event to come out, do these big giant shows, do these massive splashes. You know, he was one of the main orcas that would splash the audience and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that that was Tillicum. And what ended up happening was, whenever it was his time to come out, he and Dawn, Dawn had worked with him numerous times, and they were in sync. Everything was going well. He was responding very well to her and all of that. Uh, some of the staff members believe where the problem began. Where he really got to the point where he was frustrated and he was ready to take out some aggression. He was doing everything that he was supposed to do. And how the shows would go is they would tell them, they would give them a command, have them do a trick, whether it be, you know, stick their head out of the water, spin around in a circle, like nod their head, yes or no, and all that kind of stuff. They had a bucket of fish that was with them. And every time they would do a command correctly, they would be given one or two fish as a reward. Okay. So what ends up happening is she gave him the sign to swim around the aquarium with just one of his fins out of the water and wiggling his fin as if he's waving to the crowd. So he does that. He starts to go around and everything, and whenever he was coming back around, there's a whistle that she blows, and you hear the whistle. There's video evidence of this, by the way. So you hear the whistle. You hear her blow it. He misses his cue. Now, whether it was just he decided to ignore it, or whether he flat out just did not hear it or whatever, nonetheless, he missed his cue. He swims completely around the, uh, the aquarium, comes back to her, he's ready for his reward. Because he's like, I just did this this trick. I'm ready for my reward. But because he missed his cue, as part of the training, they were told, if he does not do exactly what you were told to do, do not give him a reward. She did not give him the reward. That is not on the fault of her. That's their policy. Okay? 
Let's be honest here. We do that with dogs whenever we're training dogs. You tell them to sit, you'll get a treat. If they do not sit, they do not get a treat. Simple as that. These orcas were treated the same way. Okay? So, pretty much after that missed cue, and he did not get his reward, onlookers and staff members said that something happened in that moment. He was off his game. He wasn't responding as well. Like, there, there was something that had happened. Whether he got frustrated or whether he got angry or whatever because he knew he had done a trick that he was supposed to do, if he actually missed the cue, he didn't know. It's like, well, I just did it longer than what I was supposed to do it. All he knows is, I did this trick and you did not reward me. Not only that, but going back to the intelligence of orcas, they said that the orcas could tell whenever they were getting close to the bottom of the bucket of the fish for the rewards. And whenever the rewards would come, it would be smaller and smaller fish and everything. And so he was getting even more frustrated that not only did I not get my reward, but you're about to stop feeding me. Okay? So what ended up happening was she decides to go to a different area. She's going to get into the water with him, and they were going to start performing, like, you know, in the water together. But there was... A thing that in that business they called a relationship segment or a relationship session. Basically, they referred, they called it quiet time. According to the documentary, they specifically called it quiet time. Just a moment between the trainer and the orca to kind of secure that connection and all of that before they actually get into the water to start doing things with them. There was an area of the pool that they would go to. It's about a foot deep. And she would lay there, the orca would come up, either like lay up there with her or just kind of come and bob at the edge or something like that. And they would just kind of form this connection, be like, okay, buddy, we're fixing to do this and all of that kind of stuff, you know, get the orca ready and all of that. So she goes over there, she lays down, he comes over, their faces are next to each other and everything, and then that's where things went bad. He seized her arm. Um, people who were there say it was her forearm and pulled her into the water and decimated that poor woman. Like handlers that were there said it was a type of aggression that they had not seen out of Tilikum at that point in time. Okay. Um, some of the things, again, this is, this could be pretty gruesome, pretty grotesque, but just to let you know the severity of what he did to this girl, her spine, well, she, she died. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't think that that was ever in question. Uh, she died while she was down there. Okay. Um, her spine was completely severed. Her jaw was fractured. Her elbow and her knee were dislocated. Her scalp was torn completely from her head. Her ribs were broken or fractured. Like numerous bruises, tears, and scratches all over her body. And a whole slew of other things that I'm just not even going to mention. Like, he mutilated her. Now, for whatever reason... Was he really frustrated that he did not get his reward and he decided to take it out on her? 
because she's the one that commanded him to do a trick and she did not reward him for it, so he decided to take it out on her? Was he already going through something else? You know, I've already talked about that due to being able to feel their complex emotions the way that they were. Was he feeling depressed? Was he already feeling frustrated? Like, no one's ever going to know what was really going on through his head as to why he did that. But it was a very, very aggressive attack. Um, one of the, this happened in front of an audience. One of the most terrifying parts of it is after she had died and authorities were contacted, Tillicum would not release her body. He still had it. And from the moment she was attacked and drug into the water until the moment they pulled her out of the water, 45 minutes had passed. So he took her down, he killed her, and then he held on to her body for 45 minutes. Now, whether that's he was playing with the corpse or whether he was just parading it around as if, like, proud of what he had done or something, who knows? Who really knows? We don't know what was going on through his head. It was, it was a very, very tragic thing. And he, he decimated that poor girl. And, of course, SeaWorld comes out. They're in damage control. They're going to try to cover this up. The media first starts reporting, and this came directly from SeaWorld to the media. Well, what happened was she had slipped into the water, caught the orca by surprise, and that's probably why he did what he did. The only problem is, is like I said, this took place in front of an audience. Eyewitness accounts immediately began to dispute that. She did not slip into the water. She was over at the side of the pool that was only a foot deep, and he drug her into the water. So then... SeaWorld is basically like, crap, we got to change our story. We got to come up with a new lie. The new lie that they decided to come up with was Dawn, at the time that this had happened, she had her hair down and it was in a ponytail. They blamed her for having her hair in a ponytail and said that he saw the ponytail and it was the ponytail that he grabbed and drug under the water. Because of the fact that it was dangling, that it was wet, the sun was shining off of it in a certain way, made it shiny, made it look a certain kind of way to him, or whatever. They put all the blame on her. Never mind that she did exactly what she was supposed to do. That she did exactly what she had been trained to do. Never mind that there were trainers that had dealt with these orcas and everything that had ponytails before. She had had ponytails before. There had never been a problem with the ponytail. The ponytail became SeaWorld's scapegoat. Well, that's what happened. That's what he grabbed. It's her fault. They put all the blame on that girl. Again, the only problem is there were eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts began to come out again. No, they're lying. We never saw that orca grab her ponytail. We saw him grab either her arm or her shoulder. They were specific in saying it was somewhere on her arm. 
from the forearm to the shoulder, somewhere in that area, that's what he grabbed and drug underwater. That's what happened. So, Tillicum was now put in isolation. He was not allowed to interact with any other trainers or anything unless it was time for a show. Whenever a show would happen, they would let him out of his prison cell, essentially. He would go around the pool like he would wave his fin. He would pop up and do like a bow or something like that. Be out for only a few minutes. Back he would go. Back into his prison cell. Uh, During the day, whenever they would release him to just have some swimming time and all of that kind of stuff, um, he would swim aimlessly, almost lifelessly, in a circle around the aquarium. There were times where he would just kind of float there. In the documentary, it shows there's a video footage of him just floating in one stationary spot, and you can hear the person that's videoing it say he's been in that position for three hours, and he has not moved. He was lonely. He was depressed. And SeaWorld was doing nothing about it. And they were very content to just keep him in that living condition. After this attack had happened, OSHA finally had enough evidence and there had been enough things involved to where they could really put some restrictions on SeaWorld. Not just SeaWorld, but any organization that dealt with orcas. It became mandatory. Due to OSHA, due to OSHA, and sent down by court order. Trainers were no longer allowed to be in pools with orcas. The only time they were allowed to be in a pool is if there was a very strong, not just a net, a very strong barrier that separated the orca from the trainer. SeaWorld was fined $75,000 after an investigation showing many things that they were not up to code and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, SeaWorld challenged this. Some of the, the things that were being challenged were dropped, but the vast majority of it was not. They ended up having to pay a massive fine. In the aftermath of Dawn's death, and I'm going to go ahead and let you know that even though the third death had happened on the other side of the world, essentially, at the, ha- at the jaws of Cato. This happened only about two months before the death of Dawn. So you've got two orca deaths that were only about two months apart from one another. During the aftermath, um, SeaWorld suffered a $15 million loss that year. And attendance went down by 5% almost immediately. It was about this time that Blackfish came out, the documentary. Really opened up the eyes of a lot of people dealing with SeaWorld and seeing their practices and hearing that they would willingly endanger their employees and their staff members and things like that by keeping the fact that certain animals were aggressive and that deaths had occurred and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, So then after uh, the documentary came out, they had even more attendance falls and things like that. Even more money losses. 
um, SeaWorld tried to cover it up and would say, well, the reason that we're having all of these losses and we're having attendance losses and things like that has nothing to do with the documentary. It has nothing to do with the death of Dawn. It has nothing to do with the death of Alexis. It has everything to do with, you know, there's holidays. It's coming up. You know, and the weather's been pretty bad here lately. That's why people's not coming out. You know, I mean, it rained the other day. You want to think about how stupid that sounds? People are going to go to a water show where they know it's part of the show that they are going to get splashed and they are going to get wet. But they didn't go to your show because it was raining where they would get wet. You, you understand how stupid that sounds? That's how stupid SeaWorld sounded with this, okay? After the documentary came out, legislation in Congress started to gain traction to start trying to ban all orcas in captivity. It did not get passed. There are still orcas in captivity to this day in 2023. Um, Southwest Airlines had a 26-year relationship with SeaWorld after the documentary came out and the death of Dawn and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, there started to be protests and things like that, begging uh, Southwest Airlines to break their relationship with SeaWorld. At first, Southwest relationship declined that and said that they are going to keep their relationship intact. Um, about a year later, I think it was maybe not even a year later, they broke their 26-year deal with SeaWorld. And SeaWorld released a statement saying that uh, the reason that they broke the deal was because of deferring priorities. It has nothing to do with the documentary. It has nothing to do with the deaths of our trainers. It has nothing to do with the incidents and attacks on our trainers and everything. We just have different priorities right now. Bullcrap. They did not, they were trying their best to keep the public image of themselves as high as possible so that people did not think that they were just incompetent whenever it came to these orcas and co constantly and consistently putting their handlers and their trainers and their staff members in harm's way by having them deal with these orcas in these terrible living conditions that they were putting these orcas through. So Southwest Airlines dropped the relationship. Every quarter after the documentary released, they would, they would lose shares. They would lose money. They would lose attendance. In 2014 alone, their shares dropped 44%. That's how much the public was really beginning to turn against SeaWorld after seeing this documentary, after hearing about the death of Dawn. After seeing them try to cover it up and say, well, first she slipped. Oh, no, people were, that were there said she didn't slip. Oh, sorry, it was because of her ponytail. Oh, no, the people that were there said he never touched the ponytail. Oh, well, we, you know, it's still her fault. Public relations were quickly beginning to deteriorate for SeaWorld. Okay? In 2016, after all the controversy, after everything happened and all that, SeaWorld finally came out and said they are ending their orca breeding program and that they're not going to be capturing any more orcas under the pretense of the world is changing and we are going to change with them. So no more orca breeding. 
Trainers cannot get into the water unless there was a barrier in between. The Shamu shows are done. You know, the traditional ones. I don't know if they still do some kind of other, you know, just having them pop up and jump up and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't pay attention to SeaWorld. I wish SeaWorld would just go defunct. You know, that's just my opinion. In 2018, after all of this time of SeaWorld coming out and saying, oh no, it's not because of the documentary, it's not because of this, it's not because of that, it's not because of our incompetence and all of that kind of stuff, they finally came out and was like, okay, yeah, the documentary hurt us. And that's why our attendance has been going down, that's why our shares are going down and all of that. They were fined $5 million for misleading their investors. Okay? So that's what happened in 2018. After the documentary was released in a way to really try to curb the effect that this documentary was having on them, they did a poll. I think it was based on their website. Uh, they did a poll that was basically that they, they were going to release very public information to let people know like, oh, don't pay any mind to this documentary. It doesn't, it shouldn't change anything and all of that kind of stuff. They released a poll where it said, like, did the documentary of Blackfish change your opinion on SeaWorld? I can't remember exact numbers, but it was basically like 54% of the poll came back as, no, it did not change our opinion on uh, SeaWorld, which seemed kind of sketchy. So they went to digging, some people went to digging to find out how that poll could be so skewed because, again, if you watch this documentary, you're going to turn against SeaWorld. I can tell you right now, you will. I've been, a, I've been a hater since day one. Okay? Emily hates them now. Any, anybody I've ever let watch this documentary is anti-SeaWorld now because of this. Because it's an eye-opener. It lets you know about their sketchy and shady practices that they've done for decades. Okay? So it seemed very, very odd to certain individuals that over 50% of the results of this, I believe that's the numbers, okay? Don't quote me on that. But uh, over 50% of the numbers from the poll are stating, oh, no, it didn't change our opinion at all. So they go to digging. They go to seeing, like, well, where did these votes come from and everything? And would you believe it? I believe it was about 180 of the votes came from one IP address, a single IP address that originated from a SeaWorld facility. After that came out, SeaWorld had to release a statement that was basically like, well, the people that voted no, it didn't change uh, our opinion on SeaWorld, was our very dedicated staff that loves what they do and love these animals and everything. So it was one of those situations for any of you that have a job. Have you ever had a job where they come out and be like, I want you to do this employee engagement survey for the sole purpose of basically being like, tell us how good of a job we're doing. Pat us on the back, boost our egos, even though we treat you like dirt and don't pay you enough and all of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we're overpaid and all make six figures a year. But, you know, no, you're not going to you're not worth an extra 30 cents an hour or something like that. You ever had a company like that that sends out an employee engagement survey? How do you feel about the direction of the company? How do you feel about the leadership? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Now, they'll always sit there and say, this is not a requirement. It's not mandatory, but we, quote-unquote, encourage you. That's a word that companies love to use. We encourage you to take this survey. And then you get an email reminder about that survey every day. 
And then every time you see your supervisor, have you taken the survey yet? No, sir, I have not. Well, you, uh, you know, we really encourage our employees to take this. So finally, you get so fed up with it. Fine, I'll take the blanking survey. You take the survey and then pff, that's it. It's done. It's said. It's over with. SeaWorld essentially did that with this uh, this poll and encouraged their employees to go in and say, tell this, this poll that it did not change your opinion about uh, SeaWorld. And that's what ended up happening there, okay? Now, I know that, you know, this documentary came out in 2013. At the end of the documentary, it shows Tilikum swimming solo, very slowly, very depressed looking, very sad looking. And it said, in the documentary, like I said, because it came out in 2013, it said that Tilikum still performs at SeaWorld daily. In 2017, Tilikum's health began to deteriorate. And they would do everything that they could to try and help him, try to help him get better. Not long after that, <clears throat> they uh, announced that his health was getting somewhat better. This may have happened before prior to 2017 this may have been 2016 or something like that but in 2017 telecom died and his official cause of death was a bacterial infection he was 35 years old yet another orca in captivity that only made it about 30 to 35 years whereas orcas in the wild Males can live anywhere from 50 to 70 years. Females can live up to 100 years. But back to the lie that SeaWorld likes to spin in that orcas in captivity live longer. Of course, everybody knows that's a lie at this point, even though there's video footage of them being like, oh yeah, our whales live much longer than the uh, the ones in captivity. Oh yes, and, you know, and all this kind of stuff and everything. Well, you know, they got caught with that one. Tillicum had a very terrible life. Yes, he was always fed. He was taken care of to the best of certain trainers' abilities. In the documentary, there were former... Uh, SeaWorld trainers that said that even whenever they knew that SeaWorld was a terrible place to, to work and that they weren't treating the animals co uh, correctly and all that, that they didn't want to leave. Not because they needed the money, not because they didn't want to just change a different job or whatever. They did not want to leave because they said they felt sorry for Tilikum and they didn't want to leave him. That's how bad it had gotten. The former trainers in this documentary, a lot of times they have tears in their eyes talking about Tilikum because of the treatment that he had to endure at the hands of SeaWorld incompetence. Because SeaWorld didn't care. SeaWorld didn't care about the animals. They didn't care about the staff. All they cared about was a dollar. That's it. I'm glad that this documentary came out. I'm glad it put the stamp on that terrible company and lets everybody see how shady their business practices are, how terribly they treated those animals, how much danger they constantly on a daily basis put their handlers and their trainers in. 
I'm glad that all this light has been shined on SeaWorld. And I cannot recommend enough. Do not take my word for all of this. Because yes, I'm passionate about it. And I'm pretty sure you guys can hear the frustration and the aggravation that's in my voice talking about all this. Do not take my word for it. Watch Blackfish. Watch it. See these handlers and see these trainers talk bad about the company they used to work for. See the orcas get attacked and the blood be flowing from them. In the water. In front of audiences. And SeaWorld would basically just be like, oh, this is normal. This is normal. And then turn around and put them in a very small pool with multiple other orcas. Knowing doggone well that attacks were happening in the middle of the night. I'm very anti-SeaWorld. Barry. I'll tell anybody that. And people can sit there and be like, well, you, you take this too seriously. You complain too much. You're too much of an animal lover. You know, something like that. Like, what are you, a tree hugger now or something like that? You know? There's nothing wrong with compassion. Yes, I am an animal lover. And I'm firmly against the mistreatment of animals. I'm not one of those people that believe that zoos and things like that are are bad. I believe that, you know, we've learned a lot from animals in zoos and aquariums and things like that. As much as I hate to admit it, we've learned a lot about orcas due to SeaWorld. Things that we would not know to this day if it was not for SeaWorld. So as terrible of a company as they've been, and how terribly they treated their orcas and these people dying and all of that kind of stuff, unfortunately, we know a lot of information about orcas today because of SeaWorld that we likely would not know if it had not been for SeaWorld. So, um, I'm not going to get into a lot of the other incidents that took place at SeaWorld. Um, if you want to read about it, get on Wikipedia. And yes, I know Wikipedia can be, you know, is a terrible source of information and research and all of that kind of stuff because it can be edited and all that kind of stuff. But it's the easiest way to be able to really look all of this stuff up or most of this stuff up. Get on Wikipedia and just type up orca attacks, okay? You're, it's going to pull up an entire page where you're going to see orca incidents in the wild as well as orca incidents in captivity. And you're going to look, click on the ones in ca captivity. They have 48 different instance, incidents listed. It's just 48 of them, okay? 48. There's more than that. Staff members in this, or former staff members in the documentary, stated that whenever everything started coming out and they started seeing papers of all the different incidents of a whale, like jumping out of the water and falling on a trainer, or a whale ramming a trainer into the sidewall or something like that, like there were over 70 reported incidents just from SeaWorld. Not other organizations, just from SeaWorld. Okay. There are there are other incidents that it talks about in the documentary. There was a girl that was uh messing with an orca just 
you know, feeding it, petting it on the head. She put her foot in the water. It seized her foot, drug her into the water, eventually changed its grasp to her arm. When she gets out of the water, and there's video footage, so you might be disturbed by it. When she gets out of the water, her arm is U-shaped from how hard this, this orca clamped down on her arm. Uh, there was another individual that while he was during a show, he dove into the water almost immediately after diving into the water. The orca, neither one of these incidences, incidents were tilicum, by the way. Um, this orca grabbed him by the foot, drug him underwater, would keep him underwater for a pretty good bit, bring him back up to the top. Bring him back down, keep him down there for 30 seconds to a minute, bring him back up to the top. He remained extremely calm throughout the entire situation. Did not thrash, did not scream for help. Finally, he calmed the orca down enough to where it turned him loose. It swam away. They put up a net barrier. He swam over the net. The orca turned around and came over the net trying to get to him, but he was able to get out of the water. There's all these incidents that have happened in captivity. And SeaWorld would turn around and be like, oh, this is just how they are. This is just how orcas are and all of that kind of stuff and everything. You know, in the wild, there's never been a single fatality ever recorded on an or from an orca in the wild on a human being. There's been a few incidents. You know, they're doing the whole uh, boat attacks right now. But they're essentially just attacking the rudders of the boat. And then once the rudders are damaged, they go on about their, go on about their way. There has been a few incidents like that. And I think um, some incidents of like hitting a boat or something and causing somebody to fall and get injured or something like that. But nonetheless, there is a staggering higher amount of orca incidents in captivity versus in the wild. It's because they're in captivity. It's because they're able to feel the way that they feel. It's because they're able to have very complex emotions and things like that and they feel loneliness and depression and anxiety and frustration and anger and everything else that's what's causing these incidents and i'm glad that trainers and handlers are no longer allowed in the pools with them because it should have been done a long time ago there are people that have died or that have been crippled due to orcas that because SeaWorld just kept on appealing and appealing and fighting back with OSHA and trying to fight court decisions and everything because they were only concerned about making money. They didn't care about the animals. They didn't care about their handlers or their trainers. This should have happened a long time ago. There should be people that are currently dead that should still be alive if SeaWorld cared the way that they said that they cared. So... That's pretty much all I've got to say about it, guys. Um, yes, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about it. Very. It's, it's infuriating that SeaWorld put their staff, their trainers and all that through the stuff that they did. It's terrible that they put the orcas through what they did. Not a tree hugger. Not a liberal snowflake, if you feel like calling me that. I'm just an animal lover that can recognize whenever a company 
is doing shady things and does not care about the well-being of their staff or their animals and all they care about is making money. That's my stance on it. I'm not anti-zoos. I'm not anti-aquarium. They are necessary. I believe that they are. They're also very necessary for conservation and keeping animals from going completely extinct. But in the case of SeaWorld, oh no. I hate SeaWorld. And I'll tell anybody that. So, alright guys, I'm sorry to have gotten so passionate about that there at the end. I'm sorry to, like, you know, I've really shown some anger and everything. But yeah, I'm, um, I hate SeaWorld. I do. I really, really do. And, you know, if some people feel that I take this too seriously, you know, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to change my opinion on it based on the opinion of somebody else. That's just how I feel about it. So, alrighty guys, that pretty much does it for today's episode. Again, sorry for uh, putting this out so late. Had a late start in recording. And so here we are pretty much at noon uh, at the time of this recording where I'm going to be releasing it and all of that. So, um, going to go ahead and give some announcements and everything. This Saturday, I'm going to be covering, um, well, Wednesday, obviously, is going to be the weekly Kaiju Havoc two days from now. Then Saturday is going to be... Uh, Pacific Rim the Black, the two-season animated series and all of that. Can't wait to jump into that. Then it's going to be, I haven't decided what I'm going to talk about Monday, but I've got, you know, two more episodes to discuss what I'm going to talk about there. So I'll let you guys know that eventually. And then next Wednesday will be the next weekly Kaiju Havoc. And now next Saturday, okay, two weeks or a little over a week and a half, you know, something like that. Me and Chris are finally sitting down to cover Jaws. I will reiterate once again, part one of Jaws will be on my show. I will be talking about Peter Benchley, the author of the book, how the book ended up coming about, casting process and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to talk about on my episode. The episode that's going to be on his show is going to be the actual production and stuff like that. So again, his show is called Kid Kong at the Movies. Kid is spelled with two D's. So K-I-D-D Kong at the Movies. So, you know, go give his show a follow if you've not done so already so that you can listen to part two of his show, uh, of uh, the Jaws episode and all of that. And we haven't decided yet if we're going to be doing a third segment talking about like the legacy and fun facts and impact that Jaws has had in the movie industry and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be next Saturday. We're going to be doing Jaws for the 4th of July. It's going to be coming out on July 1st. His episode will be coming out July 2nd. So look forward to that. Alrighty, guys, check me out on all of my social medias. On Facebook, I'm Kaiju Carnage, Godzilla slash King Kong Podcast. I have a Godzilla Ultima fan page, and on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, I'm Cal the Kaiju Guy. So, alrighty, guys, thank you all very much. We'll catch you all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy signing out.